Before we start today's episode, I've got a recommendation for the vegans and the vegan curious out there. The Chick Poops is hosted by Harry Potter actress Ivana Lynch and her fellow co-hosts who take an honest and friendly approach to veganism, tackling everything from vegan parenting to vegan dating. In fact, you can head on over now to hear the brilliant Fern Cotton being interviewed on the Chick Poops and talking about her own vegan journey. Hi, I'm Clemmie Telford and it's time to get open and get honest. Each week, I interview a guest about a topic that we, as a society, often shy away from. From sex lives to salaries, life and death, religion and real bodies, no subject is off the table. Welcome to Honestly, the podcast. My guest on this week's episode is the witty and wonderful comedian Carrie Ad Lloyd, who herself has an award-winning podcast called Griefcast, in which she speaks to all sorts of people about their experience of grief. Since losing her father in her teens, Carrie Ad has been opening up the conversation about loss, which is why I thought she'd be the perfect match for Honestly, as we grapple with the uncomfortable conversation of grief. Oh, and a bit of housekeeping. As is the general theme for 2020, we encountered some technical issues on my side of the recording. It may sound like I was podcasting from the toilet, but I can assure you this isn't the case. If you could hang on in there, it does improve, and I hope it doesn't get in the way of what is a brilliant episode. So I always like to start with a quick fire round to get us in the vibe of being honest. So let's crack on with that. On a scale of one to ten, how confident are you? totally depends on where I am on stage nine in real life probably like four five and how how about motherhood I guess this time around do you feel a massive shift in the way you're parenting yeah I'm much more confident now I'd still Mm. say about eight do you know what I mean (laughs) because there's still moments you think god what am I doing this is terrifying or they look at you and they look at you like is that right you think I don't know why are you doubting it if you're doubting it maybe it's wrong (laughs) This is quite a personal question. On a scale of one to ten, how patient are you? Oh, impatient. I am probably, I would say before children, I was like a two. <laughs> like since I've had kids, I've got much better. Let's say mm. she has taught me patience. So I'm probably mm. about 4.5. I really yeah. am. I have no patience. I have no mm. tolerance for slowness. People not understanding me immediately. <laughs> like I just get really like, what? I've said it. What's happened? Why is it? But I have got better because I've had to. Yeah. Maybe it's something that we kind of, it is quite learned. On a scale of one to ten, how funny are you? This is loaded for you. Ask my audience. Yeah, again, it really depends. I'd say on stage when I'm improvising, it is my job. I can say I'm very funny. But in real life, I'm not, I'm often quite serious, which is the way with comedians, isn't it? Because you spend your life trying to be funny somewhere else. So it's quite tiring. You know what? I've asked a few people that. And I asked Instagram whether they thought they were funny. And only 30% of people thought that they were funny. And I was like, wow. oh, like I definitely amuse myself. Hands yeah, up. Yeah. And I was like, that's quite weird, isn't it? I think of you as one of your defaults to not have that in your kind of life. Oh. It's quite interesting. Maybe that's people being modest as well. Or maybe, again, no. is it generally like women being like, oh, no, I'm not. But they might, they might actually be funny. Sometimes yeah. people don't know they're funny as well. You're like, you are 
you are funny, but they're just because it's not their job. They're not sort of aware that they've developed a skill. So yes. as a comedian, you meet someone, and you're like, oh, you you're really funny at telling stories, or you do characters well, but they haven't mm. had to think about it, so they're just like, oh, do I? And you're like, yes, <laughs> that's my job is to hear that. Yeah, true. I watch my children, and particularly my daughter is really really funny. Yeah, she's got, she's got it, but that's I don't think she's been taught that. I think uh, timing. We always say timing is innate. Like my daughter yeah. has. A, incredible timing like yeah it, she was born with just the ability to fart at exactly the right moment when you but are the thing is she's then getting the laughs so yes, then, I'm, yeah. then it's nurturing it isn't it i'm like, definitely reinforcing it to the point where <laughs> my husband's like you need to back down a little bit sometimes like that was funny that was a good joke i really like that we'll work on that and she's he's like she's gonna be a nightmare <laughs> what are you doing what is your favorite color Oh, uh, well, blue. You can't see, but my whole house is basically blue. Yeah. <laughs> blue for surroundings, but green for clothes. I really love green. I was talking about this the other day. It's hard to find a good green for something, like a top. Loads of blue. You've got blue t-shirts, you've got denim, mm. you've got shirt. If you find a good green dress, that's rare. Buy it. It's always my advice. There you go, guys. Anyone tuning in, you didn't know what to expect from this episode. Take that. For the least I can give you. Buy that green dress. It's true. What star sign are you? Oh, I'm a Leo. Are you? I am. Classic performer, yeah. It's you easy. know what? I've had some significant Leos in my life because yeah. I really like Leos, but it's occasionally rubbed me up the wrong way, but in a, in a good sense. Yeah, oh, yeah, because we're not as sensitive. Yeah, exactly. My mum's a Pisces, you see. So, like, okay, like, I think get on very well, but occasionally the Pisces will be like, oh. Yeah, give me a bit more gentle. Yeah, it's like, what? Like mood lifting. Whenever I post about it on Instagram and I get a load of people going, I don't believe in it. I'm like, yeah, because you're all Virgos. None of you can can, can get on board with that. So that's Classic Virgo. So cynical. Okay. We do. Yeah, and I've got, again, I've got quite a lot of Virgos in my life because they can't understand the over-emotionalness, but there's something in it that they're attracted to. (laughs) What's your partner? He's a Libra. It's so good for Leo. So good. Yeah, Calm, very balanced, and like doesn't need the spotlight, and is just very like can just be very grounded compared to my slightly mad. What about your daughter? Is she going to come uh, along? And- she's a Sagittarius. Yeah, she's going to come and mix it up. Two fire signs, but it's good because we understand each other. So we like when we're both being over the top. I'm like, I know what she's doing. It's fine. Yeah, it works, guys. It works. I, love <laughs> I, it. I don't know. I don't want to say it, but I think it's a science. I'm sorry. I think it might be a science. I'm into it. And you know what? There's a lot of intelligent people that I know who are into it as well. So anyway, <laughs> I, I, this is the point when I lose listeners. So we'll yeah, get yeah, on yeah. to the real thing, which is yeah, I've got you here to talk about grief because you are the expert on talking about this. <laughs> well, yeah, I've definitely talked about it a lot. That's true. So yeah, I have a podcast called The Grief Cast, which I've been doing for about four years. And I started it because my dad died when I was 15. So I basically have been talking about grief and death for a very long time. Do you feel like you were talking about it from the age of 15? Yes and no. So my family, as I said, were very honest, open family, kind of quite, as you might have guessed, quite spiritual, self-helpy, hippie family. So when he died, we were very open about it. It was discussed and all emotions were discussed Mm. and it wasn't ever, you know, hidden away at all. But I didn't really discuss it publicly unless, as for I'm writing a book about it as well. So I've just about to sort of been thinking about these things and mm-hmm. when did I actually start talking about it? I think what happens when you've had a big grief is you try and find out if people have had a similar experience. So I would talk, if somebody would say, oh, you know, my mum just died, I'd be like, oh, right, yeah, my dad died. Mm-hmm. And then we would talk. But I would be very careful to find someone in the club, as we say on the show. 
otherwise I'd be too scared that they were going to say something stupid or they just wouldn't get it, I guess, because, you know, I was a teenager. And then, yeah, I only really started talking about it publicly when I did the podcast. And I didn't really realize that I hadn't talked about it publicly. I mm-hmm. thought I had, but lots of people were like, oh, I didn't know that. I was like, oh God. It's I feel like I've been talking about it all the time. Because <laughs> it can be very loud in your head, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So you can think you're saying it. And also private versus public, I guess. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I I suppose, I, you know, really that was sort of the, one of the earlier births of podcasts. So I didn't really think about what it was to talk about mm-hmm. something on a podcast. Whereas I think now we can be a bit more like, oh, things you want to say, things you don't want to say. Whereas at the time I was like, oh, I'm just going to talk about my dad. And I mean, maybe like 10 people will listen and then I'll just, I'll be, be that. And I've, this idea I've got about talking about death will just be done and I can do something else. But here That's I am, so. still doing it. And I've just learned, I've learned so many different things. I think when I started the podcast, I was really dealing with sort of parental grief because that was my experience. Mm. And since then, I've talked to people who've lost siblings, lost children, lost partners, husbands, grandparents, dog. We had an episode about dog as well, like all these different types of grief. So it's helped me to understand how massive grief is, how huge a spectrum it is and how complicated it is really. Mm -hmm. I think I thought I knew a lot more when I started and actually it's unpicked a lot of my beliefs of like, it's just a deeply, deeply complicated process that you're never finished with ever, Mm -hmm. which I kind of knew before I started it. But now is, I would say confirmed to me that you never get over a death. You just learn to live with it. I've had like five significant deaths, but two that have really stayed with me. And one of them actually, I I lost my granny at a hundred in January. Bless her. Unbelievable. But I was there, not at the very end, but in the run up to it. And it's just remarkable how it parallels birth. Oh, my God. We talk about this all the time on the show. Like, it is so similar. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? But then if you think about it, it does make sense. So when I was pregnant and doing the show, someone messaged me and they said, um, oh, just to warn you, when you have the baby, it's going to feel like grief. And I was like, at the time, I was like, what a offensive well, weird thing to say. Is. And then it happened. And I was like, oh, my God, thank God I had a warning. Because mm. when someone dies, you have an absence of a person. So you're left with this huge hole in your life. And when someone is born, it's the presence of a person being forced into mm. a family unit. So it's exactly the same process, really, of like you're having to massively either fill in a hole or move around and be like, oh, I've got to move my entire life because now there's this baby in the way. Mm. And so I think they're so, so similar. We're born and we die. That's the only thing that we can all guarantee about anyone, regardless of race, gender, class, sexuality. We have all been born and we will all die. <laughs> That's it. That, and I think, do you follow the girls at Life, Death, Whatever? Oh, I yeah. love those girls so much, yeah. I'd had them on the podcast and they enabled me to go through my granny's death and be really brave in that experience. And mm. I spent the time with her when she was kind of lucid and said all the things that I ever wanted to say because they had prepped me yeah. to not be to, to not be terrified and to, to really have that awareness that that is a moment and, and then it is gone. And you have to, if you can, show up in the way that you want to show up, which... Yeah, it's it's really hard, but it's so hard and like life, life, death, whatever. And, you know, all there's so many people working in the grief community at the moment to try and get people to understand that this is something you're going to have to deal with. This isn't optional. It's not like a mortgage, you know, like some people will never buy a house. That's fine. They don't need to understand mortgages are 
deeply confusing. <laughs> but either you're going to die and other people will have to deal with it or someone you know and love is going to die and you are going to have to deal with it. Mm. From terms of admin to understanding what you actually need to do with a funeral to the emotional side of it of like you don't get a Hollywood moment. You need to say these things but while they are lucid, why they're still here because by the time someone is very sick they probably will be so drugged up they can't speak to you and obviously I'm talking about death from illness or you know there's yeah. sudden deaths yeah. and all sorts of different deaths but we don't talk about it so when it happens people are like you said they're just terrified they're just mm. they feel like they're going to catch it if I go in that room I'm going to die if I talk mm. about it I'm going to die I'm going to make people die because of the ignorance the lack of understanding creates fear as we know as humans yeah. And all we need is more conversations and education about it. Like uh, even at school, why are you not taught about this at school that talked about death, you know? Yeah, because the number one, the chance of one of those children losing a parent is depressingly high or a grandparent or a pet. I was there with my granny and I was with my father-in-law not long before he died. And actually that experience is the ultimate privilege. Yeah. It's heartbreaking, but that moment after someone's died or after you've had a baby, there's this amazing clarity you get that I wish you could hang on to. For the rest I know, of your life. I know. <laughs> you're literally walking down the road and you're like, I can see life for what it is yeah I can I can see it and I get it and I get what's important you know in both those moments your phone and Instagram and all of that couldn't be less relevant you know it drowns out all the noise when you get that clarity and you see life for what it is that it's so fleeting and it's so precious and it's you know you have to tell the people that you love that you love them so much it's hard to live in that intensity. I think that's why it can't mm. stay like that. You can't stay like that. You have to do the washing up. Like you need that, those ebbs and flows to kind of be like, oh yeah, actually death does happen to everybody, but having on to that all the time is, is quite intense and emotional. That's such an interesting observation because actually in, in big grief like that, you, you have this guilt when life feels a bit normal, but actually yeah. that's just your brain has got to give itself a break, hasn't it? Yeah. And I've just been reading, because I'm writing the book, like there's all these modern grief theories and one of them, it, it talks, it's called the dual process of mourning. And it literally mm. says like, you know, you have the mourning bit, the grieving, the sadness, and then you have like life watching telly and mm. eating and seeing your friends. And this theory is like, you actually have to keep going between those two things because one of them is restorative and allows you a break from grief. And if you don't keep oscillating between those two things, it's by strobe and shut. Sorry if I've said that wrong. Then you you won't process the grief. And I think it's so important for us to realise, and again, to talk about, if you are feeling normal, if you're having days where you haven't thought about them, you know what, That's mm. it's okay. It's actually good. It's actually giving your brain a chance to process what has happened. You will come back to it. That's what I try and say to people. Yeah. You're going to remember them. You know what? You're going to have a shit day. So appreciate the good days, which is a bit like we say with birth when you have a new baby. Yeah. So if you have a good day, you're like, look, don't worry, they're going to be a nightmare at some point. <laughs> like if you're having a good day and it's okay, just allow it to be without feeling guilty that you're not honoring them by being happy or you're forgetting them by mm. being happy or not remembering that day. That That isn't the case. Grief stays with you and their life will stay with you. So moving into more restorative normal activities is okay and I think there's definitely that thing with grief takes your brain so long to to accept the new reality I think yeah and I I always say this as well like when you have a baby you don't feel like a mum for quite a while 
you know, I think sometimes you sort of get to a point, maybe maybe even six months or eight months into it, you think, oh God, I think I think I'm like their mum, aren't I? But what <laughs> what happens? The reason you you have a difficult beginning, especially first babies, I think, is the expectation is like you should feel like a mum as soon as they hand it to yeah. you. But often, like people don't because it's weird. They're new. Who is this person? And exactly the same thing with grief. Like you're not going to feel normal the next day. That no. person was in your life for however many years. It will take time to have a life without them because they were there for 30 years. So they're not yeah. going to be, it's not going to be normal in a month. It's not, it gets easier. It's like, it gets time to adjust to what life is now. It's exactly the same as having a baby. It's like, it takes time to adjust to mm. like, I'm a mum now. I have someone I have to look after. I have to be patient. I can't stay up and get pissed and do what I want. It's like, well, I've lost someone. So I, I can't do everything I did before. I can't see the world in the same way. I can't act as recklessly as I did or, or I can because I feel really sad. Like all of these things take process. And I think we rush ourselves so much because we want, we want to be fine and accepting you're not going to be fine. We don't mm. like sadness. We, we Sadness is something we try and avoid all the time. Like, be happy, be positive. Like, come on, think on the bright side. Like, our whole world is conditioned to be like, try not to focus on the bad things, which makes sense to survive. But when it comes to grief, someone's dead. That needs to be it's honest. Shit. It's, it's shit. shit. It's shit. It's shit. shit. You lost someone. Yeah. And, and actually, you can't. And I think that's that bit in, in early grief when your brain is is trying to rationalise it. And actually, it's really interesting in the example of my granny, who was 100, you know, yeah. she had a long life and her she died at home with the people she loved. You know, she aced it. That is what we all hoped yeah, for. Yeah. But people were really, really quick to say to me, oh, she had a good innings. Um, yeah, but I still lost one of the few people in my life who will ever love me yeah. unconditionally. And you're really doing a disservice to any loss by saying it's just or you know yeah we talk about it a lot on the show of like grief hierarchy like there isn't one so you know I and I was guilty of this when I was a teenager and I'd lost my dad if someone had said to me oh my granny died I'd be like yeah. oh, did they? <laughs> oh do you have your dad like yeah that's an understandable reaction when you're first grieving so I don't feel bad if you are feeling like no well no one understands but then I think the older I've got and the more I've looked back on grief the more I'm like any grief is grief. If you're sad, you're sad. Mm. You know, that feeling of like, well, there's someone worse off. That's good to remember in terms of perspective. But if you start using it to bash yourself over the head to be like, I shouldn't be this sad. I'm not allowed. She was a hundred. I should be yeah. okay. Somebody dies. That's sad. They're not here anymore. Mm. Why does it have to be justified by some figures? Well, they were this age and they had mm. this many children and it was this quick. Like, things are just sad and obviously some things are more sad than others I have to say the only thing the grief hierarchy rule that we talk about not being true the only thing we all caveat most people I've spoken to in the grief community is that the death of a child is the absolute worst worst. and that is a very Mm. I feel like that has to have its own special place because it, it does not, I don't want to use the word Trump because it sounds stupid, but. No, because it's it, not the natural order of things. You were going to lose your dad at some point. Yeah, it exactly. wrong when it happened early. And I feel like that's, my dad died when I was 15. Then six months later, my grandfather died, who I was very close to. And he died because his son, like he couldn't get his head around what the hell had happened. And I think it's really important to just what and again it's because we don't talk about it so it's just to watch how we're speaking about grief so if you are someone who's trying to help someone saying things like oh it's what they would have wanted they had a good innings oh well at least they at least they did this at least, like it's okay but be aware of like are you trying to make the grief just go away maybe it might be helpful to just say god that's so sad how are you feeling today 
because how are you feeling is like uh, I don't know how I'm feeling but how are you feeling today makes you go oh actually today is all right I haven't been too sad but yeah just watch it watch we all do it I do it which we try and sweep it away because it makes us uncomfortable and we don't want people to be sad we don't like other humans in pain like if we if I see you crying my instant thought is like I want to make her better so it comes from this space of like I want to make it better but what you have to understand with grief is you can't they're dead you can't make it better (laughs) so just maybe I just have to be sad for a bit because it's not going to magically go away so then that's okay I end every episode with the phrase, you're not alone, because it's like grief, literally grief lights up the part of your brain that lights up when you have depression. So it literally makes you feel like there's no point. No one understands me. I'm isolated. No one cares. Like all of those, you know, common feelings, even though obviously grief is not a mental health issue. It's separate from depression, but it has similar feelings. And I think it's really important that we are brave and have these conversations. We're all going to die. Once you accept that, it's quite calming. It is, I think. I think, and, it, and it's definitely not a permanent state, as we're talking right. about that clarity. And it's the same when I come off a podcast about something like this. I'm like, yeah, I get it. I'm going to go and appreciate everything. And you can't because uh, I'll go upstairs and there's loads of washing to be done. Yes. I had an acting teacher once who said to me, Cara, no emotion lasts longer than 10 seconds. And like, Ooh. he gave it as an acting tip to be like, don't just be sad for the whole monologue. But when you think about that, you're like, yeah. It doesn't. It change in that mo- you can be bawling your eyes out about someone who's died, and then think, "Oh God, I didn't put those shoes away, did I? Where did I?" Like, and then you come back to the sun, and like, that's okay. That's your brain just processing the very strange and bizarre thing that happens when someone isn't alive anymore. That's it. You, you're trying to process it, and you have that awful thing where your subconscious hasn't caught up with you, so yeah. you, you wake up and and re-experience that grief repeatedly. But yeah, you have to just you have to give yourself time. And there's that brilliant ball in the box analogy. Oh, I love the ball in the box. Lois Tonkin originally sort of founded it, and I know that through Anna the Death Doula. <laughs> She's very queen to credit Lois because she was amazing. I think it's the most modern grief theory that I've come across. It seems to be the most accepted one, but it isn't really culturally out there. So that's why it's important. So it's like your life is a box. And when someone dies, like you have to imagine like a big messy squiggle. This is how I'm or a ball. I imagine a big squiggle. And that's grief. So like it fills the whole box. The ball takes up the whole box. The squiggle takes up the whole box. There's like the tiniest gaps in the corners for your life. And all you can think about is grief. You breathe it, you sleep it, you eat it. It's just in your bones. You're just sad and awful. And as life goes on, as time goes on, you have more life. Obviously you do. That's just how time works. So you have more experiences or you might have another child or move house or get a job or see friends and the box gets bigger and bigger because it's filled with more life. But the grief stays the same. It doesn't go away. It doesn't disappear. It might change like shape slightly. It might fade, but it's still there. And the specific ball in the box theory is that there might be like a pain button in your box of your life. And occasionally the ball might roll onto the pain button. And that's when you have those waves of grief when suddenly you remember them or you see someone who looks like them or somebody says something like, oh, you know, it's Father's Day. And you're like, oh, oh, I forgot. I forgot that I don't have a dad. (laughs) Shit. So it's either the ball rolls onto the pain button or if you imagine like a squiggle, like suddenly that squiggle just like floats up to the top and you're like, oh yeah, that, I forgot about that. It just means it's something I carry with me and I have learnt to carry. I hope I explained that okay. <laughs> you did explain it brilliantly. And I'm thinking that actually, for me, when you begin to reframe it, those those squiggles of grief, I actually, when I do have that kind of 
massive hit of the grid. I kind of have learned to enjoy that a bit because mm. it, it means that they're not forgotten and it means that your love is is as intense. And not enjoy it isn't the right word, but if you if you aren't fearful of that big emotion of finding yourself doing yeah. that snotty crying. <laughs> I always say it's like when you make this the, the honking sound and you're like, who made that sound? <laughs> and you're like, stopped crying because I'm laughing so much. I'm like, I can't believe that came. Like, He's like, that came out of me. <laughs> Again, only in labour and in grief do yes. you make these extraordinary noises. Oh, I move all the way through childhood. Yeah, I forgot actually the noises. That's, and again, because you come back to your most animal there's no civilization about you (laughs) it takes a long time I certainly as I was in my 20s would really really fear the waves because what's scary about the waves is you don't know how long they're going to last so if you have that wave of grief it can sometimes be very frightening because you can think Mm -hmm. oh my god is this going to be the next year like is that how shit I'm going to feel but what happened for me and this is only my experience is I learned to just trust this isn't going to last even though it feels like depression, it feels like it's going to, it feels like it's never going to go away. It will, it will go away. You will feel okay. You will be happy. You will stop crying. But it's only through having those repeated waves that you learn. Again, with the analogy of motherhood, it's it's so hard to know where the lines are between grief and mental health. And it's a bit like a bit postpartum where you go, is this normal or am I losing myself? And it's quite scary to know where the lines are isn't it I think it is and it's really hard because grief I think grief feels like depression but it can also cause anxiety and other mental health problems but that isn't grief so it's really hard Mm. to separate that and unfortunately I hate to say the thing that everybody says but it's time it's just time I have terrible anxiety but I always did (laughs) the grief made it worse you know I had anxiety to worry about stuff and then my dad died the worst happened so I was like great now evidence proved scientific nothing is safe don't trust anyone (laughs) like I didn't get therapy till 18 years after he died it took me a long time and I'd say it's really changed my life actually massively Mm. if you can obviously not everyone can it's not the right time but if you can get access to counseling and I know you know the NHS is like a massive weight this but if you can it really really is is such a gift yeah and Again, similar to motherhood, your birth story. How many people do you need to tell your birth story to? Because you're like, I can't believe what just happened to me. Like a thing came out of me and it's alive. And I know with my, first be my first birth, which was quite like difficult. I kept talking about it and talking about it because I was like, I don't process processing. And exactly the same with, with grief. You, you need to keep processing, especially if the, especially if the grief has been traumatic or sudden or a shock. If it's been an illness, you know, you have to remember that you've been caring, you've been dealing with doctors and medications and all of that stuff. And now you need to process actually what happened. Because often at the time, if you're dealing with terminal illness, you're not really taking it in that they're dying. You're kind of like, okay, so they need this morphine and now I've got to call the palliative care. Like you're busy. Mm. There's so much admin that comes with these things. And I guess it's coming back to what I tried to say about not enjoying the grief but all those things should make us who we are in the same way you know as I said I'm the most emotional Pisces and and sometimes I wish I didn't feel all the feelings but it's better to feel the feelings than to feel none of them yeah definitely it's a privilege you know like we say it's like it's a privilege to age it's a privilege to have these feelings if someone dies and you miss them wow that's that's really great. You knew someone really brilliant. Not everyone has that, you know. Sometimes people have really difficult relationship with their parents or siblings or people who die, and it can be deeply what is known as complicated grief because of the relationship you had with them. If you're just feeling that you miss them, 
it's not gift. lucky but like because I'm not lucky my dad died but I'm I'm glad I've had this chance to grieve him uh, yeah and actually when I spoke to Anna and Louise and they you know talked about well actually it's going to have happened in COVID but prior to that like funerals with nobody there oh god yeah yeah. Big, yeah and I think this whole process you know my great aunt passed away during this process and my mum had to watch it like over online because she couldn't go and it's going to be a really like we don't even know where it's going to end so we can't even prepare for like the therapy that's going to be needed for everybody <laughs> to deal with it and especially if you've lost someone if you've lost someone during this period and you're listening to government's debate whether like masks will affect retail prices or like or you know like people saying oh well I want to go out for a drink and I, I know I'm generalizing because obviously everyone has reasons for why the lockdown is difficult but it's like if you have lost someone in this period how you feel when everyone's debating the disease in a very intellectual way when actually you're thinking it took someone from me and there's going to be thousands of people in that boat unfortunately for this country hundreds of thousands so I think we're going to have to do a lot of work on having these conversations and mm -hmm. you know people like me who feel very confident talking about it I'm definitely going to struggle to talk to someone who has lost someone through COVID-19 because it hasn't happened to me and I'm going to have to rethink about how the language I use and what support they will need and we all are that's going to, it's I hate to say it, it's our new normal our new world of dealing with this much grief but yeah as kind of to head towards the end I mean we I definitely know that we share this and that I feel absolutely passionately about people having honest conversations and I, I don't know how we empower more people to do that what like what's your driving feeling oh I think oh you can you can't make people talk <laughs> And also, as always, I always caveat things like my husband's not a talker. I know, imagine how he deals with this. And when he grieved his mum particularly, he didn't actually need to talk about it. He really needed to process it quietly. So you can't make people talk because sometimes they, you know, people process things differently. But all I think you can do is be clear that you're willing to have those honest conversations. And, you know, we did. We, you know, he didn't always want to talk about it. But when we did, we had very, very open honest conversations and it's it's a bit like what you said with the the parenting like you have to work on yourself there's no point telling people well you should do this or you should says the woman who yeah. told you what to do for an hour but um you need to do it yourself you need to model it yourself so if you can find when somebody brings up a death you don't blush and change the subject or if you do you go oh sorry I didn't know what to say when you said that I'm really sorry like if someone has did that to me I'd be so fine if someone was like oh, sorry, you said your dad died and I, I panicked a bit, actually. I, I didn't quite know what to say. That's absolutely fine. You can yeah. always learn and change your opinion and re-change how you're talking about something. Like, just try and go there when everything in your heart is like, oh, I don't want to talk about this. Just try and talk about it. If you're not good at something, you know you have to do it more than once. If you've had yeah. one conversation about death in your life, you know what? You're probably not going to be great at talking about death and that's okay. You just haven't done it very much. And I say all the time when there's a new baby when you're a kid and see a new baby everyone around goes oh it's so lovely what does it weigh how are you and we learn as children oh I see when someone has a new baby you shouldn't ignore it you should say how are you <laughs> and you should look at the baby we pick up that when there's a death and everyone goes oh I'm so sorry anyway change the subject understand like if you allow conversations about death get better at them if you know someone and you know that they lost someone and you didn't really talk about it. You can, it's never too late. It's never too late no. to be like, oh, hey, I, I just remembered like, you know, that you lost that person. Sorry, I never really asked about it. Like, are you, yeah. how are you today? It was always be welcome, you know, just exactly. trust that.
Yeah, and I I think my overwhelming thing is, especially around death, ask them if they want to talk about it. Yes. And the child, they'll let you know. But the worst thing that can happen when you lose someone is that nobody talks. The worst, because what people think is politeness. Oh, I don't want to upset them. Oh, they probably don't want to talk about it. Makes you feel even more isolated than you already chemically are. Your brain is already telling you no one cares, no one understands. And then people don't ask and you think, oh, well, there's my proof. Asking is so important. And at the start of every episode, I always say like, what was their, you know, what was their name? And you can see people say the name and they're like, I haven't said that name for so long. Like, it's so nice. What was your granny's name while we're here? She's called Margaret. And then my Greta, my daughter is called Greta as a derivative of that. But you know what? My granny was with it all the way to the end. She didn't really give a shit that I called her Greta. (laughs) She really was just like, oh, that's classic. That's amazing. I've done this amazing thing. Yeah, right. What do you want, a badge? Yeah, and she's probably thinking, yeah, because you know I'm going to die. So this is that (laughs) morbid. Sorry, granny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To wrap up to the end, is there anything that you want to shout about and where can people find you on the internet? Oh gosh, I'm on Instagram at Carad Lloyd and the Griefcast is also on that at the Griefcast. The, the, all the episodes are on Acast. So there's like over a hundred episodes covering all sorts of different grief. And I'm on Twitter at the Griefcast. And I would, if you are feeling crap, I'd recommend the Twitter and the Instagram because on the Twitter, I share a lot of resources. And if you have any like sometimes people have very specific questions of like, I've just lost a friend to suicide. Is there, is there a group that someone knows about in Liverpool that can help me? And I'll just retweet it. So there are people out there who want to have these conversations with you. Like, don't be afraid to find them. And the internet is a terrible and wonderful thing. And when it comes to grief, I think it's actually quite wonderful because we can all find each other. If you could have an honest conversation with one person, who would it be? And what would you say? Can it be anyone living or dead? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably my dad, mate. I'd love to have Should a chat with him. Yeah, I'd love to just be like, right, okay. Got some some grievances, <laughs> some things I still want clarified, and then also questions. You know, yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, someone wrote a brilliant list for my blog about her mum had passed, and she's like, I just really would like her cheesecake recipe. Oh, can I let me leave you that one? If you have a good recipe, write it down and give it to the person. Yeah. Oh my god, I was sat with my oldest friend and we were reminiscing about her mum's incredible Mississippi mud pie no one has a recipe no one has a recipe and it was so good and both of us were like god god like I really want to eat <laughs> yeah write down uh, your recipes guys and actually that is such a lovely way to um, yeah remember to like, I interviewed Nikesh uh, Shulka who's a writer and he cooked all his mum's I think she was Gujarati food and, and after she died and ate it and it was completely a process of him dealing with the grief and the smells and remembering her and I was like that is a genuinely good way to honor them I think sometimes if yeah. they like cooking if they didn't don't don't do the awful recipes that they cooked Anna and Louise as well say with the funeral like don't be afraid to serve like you don't have to just have volivants and no no if they didn't like that I'd like to state now I just only cake at my funeral guys just like hundreds of different cakes that would be would be so wired because you're wired after a funeral anyway (laughs) but i'd be happy i'd be like guys on me on me all the cakes well on that note i've been clemmy talbot and this has been carrie on lloyd and this has been honestly podcast thank you so much for listening please do rate review and subscribe and tell your mates all about it thank you thank you thank you for listening to another episode of honestly If you enjoyed this episode on grief, then can I recommend that you go back and listen to the episode I recorded in season one with Anna Lyons and Louise Winter, the duo between life, death, whatever, on the subject of death. 
It was a tough but very, very important recording and actually I found it surprisingly upbeat. I'd love to know your thoughts, so please do give me a rating or review and even better, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get each week's episode delivered straight to you.